1: There's a place here at the table, your coats go by the door, you can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor,
0: I hope you wore elastic, cause your waistband's gonna get tight, time's done, we're having
1: a night. Hi guys, it's Ari
0: and Sophie and you're listening to having a night the podcast dedicated to reviving the lost art of the dinner party
1: yes we have a really exciting guest coming up but we have to talk about what we ate this week before we can introduce her can I just go first
0: Wow! Yeah, sure. I really thought maybe I was gonna get asked a question, but I guess not. Do you uh, want to go first? No, you go first.
1: Well, mine is just really simple and short. I actually um, posted on our Instagram about it. I it was Chris's birthday on Friday, and we had a pizza party, and it was just so fun. And even if you have only have two people with you in your house, just making some pizzas, you don't have to make the dough from scratch. What do you? Do you crazy? make the dough from scratch? No, we didn't. Okay. We were very busy that day and we didn't have time, but it was still so delicious. I made a bechamel and putting that on the bottom and some red onion, fennel, ricotta, little dollops of ricotta. And then we had this gorgeous, insanely gorgeous, like rose pink radicchio. Have you seen Mm. that kind? I have. I have. It's very beautiful. Jesus Christ. And we, I tossed that with some olive oil and lemon and salt. And then when the pizza came out, put that on top and it looked like curls of like prosciutto. Oh, I could have put like some green olive in there. I didn't, I I should have, but it was just so fun. So lively, so delicious. Look, that kind of pizza dough that you buy at the grocery store, it's not the best, but it's, it's good enough.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, trust me, having tried making it myself six or seven times this summer, Harry is definitely going to listen to it and be like this and be like, we tried making it one time. What are you talking about? But (laughs) making pizza dough is it's, very, very tough if you're not a big bread baker. So I second you're going to the supermarket and just buying the dough. Hold on though. Bechamel. I've never heard about putting a bechamel on the bottom of a pizza.
1: Yeah. For a white pie. Usually that's what they'll do. That's what it is. Yeah. Interesting. God you know what, let me give
0: big ups to the white pies in this world. I right? fucking love a white pie. Me
1: too. I mean, I don't know if it's always bechamel. I think you can probably just put mozzarella on, but you need sauce. So- you got to have some sauce. Like you need yeah. like some mo- more moisture, I think.
0: I thought that it would usually be a mozzarella. And then with like dollops of ricotta, God, now I'm just thinking, I'm like, imagine some mozzarella. You got to put a bit of thyme in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, it's a bunch of olive oil, obviously some well, maybe you don't need salt, but oh God. Yeah. Well, that sounds freaking delicious. And it's true. A pizza party is always fun.
1: So fun. And it feels like a nice little celebratory COVID thing that's so easy. It's not even funny. What did you eat?
0: Okay. I made a chicken last week that I didn't get to talk about because we were talking about our New Year's Eve's. True. Um, I made a chicken. Whole chicken, Jacques Pepin recipe, whole chicken, Mm. butterflied it, did it in a skillet. But what was so amazing, guys, the skin, Mm -hmm. insane. Okay. Tell me. You make a mixture of mustard, a little bit of soy sauce, Tabasco, lemon juice, Mm -hmm. and I forget if there was garlic in there or not, but you rub it on the inside and on the outside. Right. And I never really do like a chicken marinade and you don't have to marinate it. Like you rub it and then you put you immediately start cooking this, this chicken in the skillet on uh-huh. the stovetop. And then of course you put it into the oven, but I guess it's like the mustard just makes the skin brown and crisp so nicely. Oh my God. It was a very, very, very good. One. And because you put it on the inside too, obviously it's like the flesh gets a little bit more of the flavoring. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really good. And not the type of recipe that I usually make. Cause usually, if I'm doing a roast chicken, I just keep it super simple. But Harry was like, let's do mustard, mustard rub chicken. I was like, no way. And oh, was, God. Wow. Amen. I will definitely be making it again. Send it.
1: Did you take a picture?
0: No, oh, because I'm a bad
1: person. You I'm need sorry. to take more pictures of your food. I, wanted I took to be, photos of my beans. I took photos of every step of my beans. <laughs> That's true. But you don't have to take photos of every step of everything. But oh, okay. we should maybe make it a habit going forward that these recipes that we talk about every week or these the things that we cooked every week, we should also put them on our Instagram. Don't you think? It's only logical.
0: That's what we should be doing. Oh my God, guys, we're so stupid sometimes. It's like, it took COVID for us to finally start making videos. It's like, we should have just done them a year ago when we started this podcast. For sure. Now this new thing. Okay, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to take a photo of whatever I'm going to talk about next week, but this is the problem. You don't know. I think we're always coming up with what we ate last week
1: in the moment. Well, you know, the solution, you just have to take a picture of everything you make, like a real Instagram influencer. Oh my God. Just try things that are especially good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or just be like, Oh, I'm going to talk about this next week. Just kind of cheat. I I did
0: have a very wacky cabbage last night. Very crazy. We went to this restaurant. um, That's a Hokkaido restaurant. So as in like the cuisine is Hokkaido Mm -hmm. and it said addictive cabbage. It was very addictive, but I think it was basically like raw cabbage tossed in mayonnaise and like chili garlic you know Love like it. fried garlic mashed yeah. with chili it was so good
1: that sounds like the coleslaw Same. of my dreams
0: yes exactly it was definitely a dreamy dreamy coleslaw you know what's a very good pairing for coleslaw fried chicken and you know who's a fucking fried chicken expert our Who? guest this week
1: oh my god guys oh, that that way. yeah that was incredible We have the one and only Jen Harris. She's a senior writer for the food section of the LA Times, the LA Times. I
0: don't know how much all of our listeners know about the LA Times. Ari and I are both huge fans of the LA Times because when you're in LA, it is the one and only food publication that you need. Jonathan Gold, may he rest in peace, wrote for them. I mean, he just really changed the way that people think about food and eating in this country, which is- Pretty freaking incredible, yeah. And Jen Harris has been carrying on that tradition. One must yes.
1: say, Jen Harris, she is the raddest chick I've ever met virtually. She has the coolest job, which she kills. She just knows everything about every LA restaurant. She's just so amazing. She's de- she's exactly the person you would want to know if you were moving to LA.
0: Oh my god! Oh beyond, beyond. Yeah. But also, I think part of what's really cool if you follow her on Instagram or read her writing, obviously, so much of it is about small businesses, family-run restaurants, like things that I think are incredibly important, particularly right now when a lot of these places are struggling. So she's all about propping up that part of the LA economy, which I think is really exciting. It is. And she also has a show all about fried chicken. Guys, this woman eats fried chicken every single day.
1: Every single She's day. Like, She's
0: like, oh, I always have some in my freezer just in case, which is wow. Wow,
1: wow, wow. I know. Life goals. Her show is called The Bucket List. And she just, it's a fried chicken show. It's incredible. She's incredible. She's on our freaking podcast today. We're so yeah, lucky, guys. Okay. <laughs> Um, We're going to post some of her favorite LA restaurants later this week on Instagram.
0: Check them out when you get back on a plane and go to Los Angeles the next time. Some people
1: might be in Los Angeles already.
0: Uh, Absolutely. But I was just thinking about the fact that we should be responsible and not encouraging people to
1: travel. My God, when do you think you'll get on a plane? I was thinking about this today, like never. Thinking I might turn into one of those people who just like never flies again. Wow.
0: Yep. A lot of road trips in your future, sounds like.
1: That's right. Okay,
0: guys, enjoy the one and only Jen Harris. And we're just just really, really thankful that she came on our podcast. It's a very special seminal moment for us. So here you go. I think we should sort of start with like, as a food journalist, what is your history with food? Like, did you come to food through journalism or did you come to journalism through food or was that like always kind of going to be your path was braiding them together
2: I guess I came to both of them at the same time I guess I mean I I've always loved writing and I've always loved food I mean who doesn't but I come from a family who really loves food and likes to cook a lot um so I spent a lot of time like cooking with my with both grandmas cooking with my mom so I knew that if I could do something with food when I grew up, it would be amazing, um and then I've also just loved writing. My mom told me I like made my own magazine when I was five <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, wow. but but like I was like cutting out pieces from magazines and like putting them together and like like putting little like headlines on them. So I guess I kind of like merged the two uh for what I do now. um but yeah, I've always loved food, always love writing.
1: Are you um a born and bred Angelino? Have you been a California girl through and through? Wow. Yeah, born at Cedar Sinai, never
2: left. <laughs>
0: Me too. Well, born at Cedar. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: So has your relationship to the city to being in LA changed a lot particularly since becoming a food journalist? Like, do you feel like suddenly the array of neighborhoods that you're exploring is much wider?
2: I mean, I was fortunate enough to have parents who like on the weekends would say like, "Hey, let's drive to the Valley and try this restaurant" or or "Let's go to Little Ethiopia and try this restaurant." So I think I was from a young age, like being driven around to different restaurants to try food, which is really great. And obviously I do that even more now with my job, but you know, LA has always been such a great place to eat. And, you know, I will routinely drive an hour for fried chicken or a sandwich or whatever. Like I'll drive to orange County to eat. Um, I'll drive to the South Bay area. Um, We'll drive for food is my motto. Uh, But um, but yeah, it's something I've been doing uh, even before I was a food journalist.
0: Yeah. I mean, LA is such, to me, it really is a place that requires that you sometimes drive an hour and a half to get something great. I have friends who are like, of course we all have friends who are like, I won't go to the East side. I won't go to the West side. My dad and I will drive to Pasadena, like, you know, three days in a row, because sometimes you got to go there for sushi or you got to go to Glendale or whatever. It's like, Mm -hmm. if, if if the mood requires you to drive an hour and a half, you just got to commit.
2: Agree. And also because I, I actually live in Pasadena and it's not super close to a lot of things. So I'm routinely taking three, four freeways to, to get food. Yes, yes.
0: exactly. <laughs> <so>. Yes. That's <laughs> sketch. How do you actually go about ordering when you are reviewing a restaurant, when you're thinking about a restaurant from not just the perspective of an eater, but the perspective of, you know, trying to inform people about what's interesting about it, what's delicious, what's not delicious. Do you have strategies? I mean, do you just order the whole menu, which of course is like what Ari and I wanna do? I
2: don't review restaurants, which I'm very grateful for because Mm -hmm. that's like a whole lot of pressure and responsibility that I don't, like I would never wanna say something bad about a restaurant. So if something's bad, I just never, I just won't write about it. But I do work on a lot of best of lists or like places to eat in Koreatown or, or wherever. Um, and so I will try to ask people who I know live there or hang out there frequently to, you know, instead of like looking at someone else's list, I'll try and do that. Or if I go there, I'll ask the server where they like to eat or just ask Mm -hmm. people there where they like to eat, um, which I've found to be like super reliable. And then you really get to discover some gems that way. But yeah, I'll do that. And as far as ordering the whole menu, That's fun. I've only done that maybe like once. Um, But I I mean, I try to get a good sampling of like what the restaurant is known for, what people like to come here for. Um, If there's any off menu things, I'll always ask that. Like, is there something secret that, you know, um, I could try. But yeah, I'll never go and order like one or two things though. And which is like, I'm often eating by myself. So, and I hate wasting food. So all my friends love that. I'll like be like, hey, I'm dropping off food from here today. Like it's outside, like, or, or, you know, I'm just sort of like sometimes at 4 PM. I'm like, I have to go to six restaurants in Koreatown today. Like who's hungry, but you know what I mean? So I'm like, if you can come with me, great. If not, I will drop off
0: food for you. Well, you literally hit six spots in one afternoon.
2: Oh yeah. I I mean, I think my record was, I was assigned a story on where to eat uh, in orange County in, um, it was Costa Mesa. And I hadn't been in orange County since I was in college there. And and I, I would never write about a place that I actually haven't visited myself and eaten the food from. So I was like, I called up my friend who lives there, Bobby. And I was like, Hey Bobby on Sunday, I'm going to be there at 7.00 AM. And we need to hit all these places And and, and fill in the gaps for whatever you think I'm missing. And we went to 22 places in one day. Oh, my god! that included coffee shops, bars, and restaurants. What time did day. you end?
1: Uh, I think
2: 2, 2 a.m. Yeah. I mean, like 7 to 2, just go. And we shit. were, and I tried to map it out where I was like, okay, we can walk to these places. We have to drive here. Um, and it was just, it was nutty, but it, but it worked. But oh, yeah. That's my, my top. God. So six, it's like six in one day. It doesn't sound too bad if I'm comparing to that, but it's still a lot.
0: Does that mean that you usually will try like a bite or two of everything that you order? Because you can't go to town on every dish if you're going to 22 spots, right?
2: Yeah, no, for that one, it, it's hard. Like if something tastes really good, it's hard right. for me to just take one bite. Yeah, exactly. To just be like, ah, like shove yeah. the whole thing in my mouth. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I bought, I brought a cooler with me and I, I took leftovers from like all these places. Um, but mm-hmm. I really tried to do my research before so I could narrow it down to a couple things because I wasn't going to order like, five things at each place. But yeah, if I'm doing that many, it's like one or two bites. If I'm doing like three places in a night, like I can eat more than three bites, but but yeah, always bring an ice chest because (laughs) it's like packed with leftovers. Yeah, really good (laughs) advice.
1: So when you're just going out, are you to eat for yourself, just like meeting your girlfriends for lunch or something? Are you good at like knowing that that is not work or is part of you still like hold on, I'm like critiquing this or I'm, I'm thinking about this in, in a certain set of ways or, or measuring this against a set of values or are you able to kind of just like let that go and enjoy, you know, a, a soup and sandwich?
2: Depending on like, like what type of assignments I have that week, like sometimes when my friends are like, let's go out to eat, I'll make them go with me to a place I need to try for work wow. um, or for my parents. I'll be like, hey, I have to try these three places. This is what I'm going to bring home for dinner. Like next week, if I'm going to a place I've been to a bunch of times with my friends, then yeah, I can definitely just eat, but I'm, I'm always trying to think of some sort of story idea or something that I can maybe use this meal for, but, but no, I can definitely just eat and not think about it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So like, if you had a, f- like a long lost friend who you hadn't seen for years, cause they like moved to Alaska and then they were coming to LA for one day and they were like, Jen, meet me at Panera. Would you go? <laughs>
2: I would say no. I would say I will meet you here instead. I would say not, no shade, <laughs> no shade over at Panera. I, I think I had their cheddar broccoli soup one time and it was not bad, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I would say, I'd say if you really want to eat there, great. But like, here are three other places we could go. I would give them the option. If they were like hell bent, if they were like Panera or nothing, then I guess I'd go to Panera. All
1: right. (laughs) Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. Well, it's also like if you, if it's either my friendship or you going to Panera, I think you let them go to Panera and just say, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) you just highlighted the fact that I clearly in my brain have never separated food reviewing from food journalism? Of course, I understand why those are different, but do a lot of people do both? Because you, Hannah Goldfield, who writes for The New Yorker, like, she seems to mostly review places that she really loves. Like, and it's a very, very different approach than, like, a Sam Sifton or a Pete Wells. Mm -hmm. Where often it's like, hey, this was great, but also I'm going to be really funny about how much I hated this other thing. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you kind of sort of find yourself in the, the journalism aspect of it rather than the
2: reviewing? And I think that's a good question. So definitely different, uh, or at least at the LA times, we have two restaurant critics before uh, we had Jonathan Gold, who was our restaurant critic, and he was specifically a restaurant critic. He, I mean, once in a while he would write like a news item, but not, not normally. Cause he was busy, you know, critiquing restaurants. Um, and the two critics we have now, especially with the pandemic, they have obviously not been uh, reviewing restaurants. Um, they've been writing about food, um, as food journalists, but not as critics. For me, I think of myself, I guess, as a reporter first before like a food writer. So mm-hmm. yes, my beat right now is food writing, but before I did food at the LA times, I was writing about fashion. Um, I had like a celebrity fashion column. Sometimes I'd be asked to write for the entertainment section or uh, the travel section. So yeah, being a food journalist, and, and also as a food journalist, you're, you're like, you know, don't use first person. you You're coming at it from like a reporter background, a journalist background. I'm writing about this restaurant um, about this chef, you know, no opinion uh, included. Whereas, obviously, as a critic, yeah, that so yeah, you're supposed to review the, yeah, you're supposed to review the food, draw from your own experiences and context to do that. I was asked to to write a restaurant review while one of our critics was on maternity leave last year and I was relieved when someone else, they, uh, when someone else was actually able to, because to me, I was just like, again, I know that like, even a bad restaurant, like obviously the people behind it, aren't trying to be bad. Like this right, is, yeah. this is like, you know, this is like their life's work and it's right. their grandma's recipe or something. And it's just like, I just like, I have so much love and respect for so many restaurants that it would just kill me to have to be like, but then again, like you have a responsibility to the reader, to be honest. Of so, course. like I know you're gonna take my recommendation, then go there like spend your time and heart you know and harder money there, and that's on me if it was shitty. So like it's just like a whole it's like a, just a lot of pressure and I just not something that I'll ever want to do.
0: I mean, I think in an interesting way since you just brought up Jonathan gold, I feel like that's kind of something that he did in some very cool way was like it seemed like he brought a lot of kindness to what yes. he was doing and mm-hmm. like he purposely found places that maybe readers of the LA times wouldn't have gone to otherwise and then reviewed them in a really lovely way instead of being Mm -hmm. like, and of course, you know, he reviewed really fancy places as well, but kind of like finding places that he liked that he could then say nice things about, as opposed to writing these takedowns. I don't know. Is
2: that accurate? Yeah. I don't, I don't think he enjoyed writing takedowns or did he want to do them? I think he was so good at finding places that people didn't know about or finding places that people had overlooked, um, and and really focusing on the stories behind the people who opened them. Um, so that maybe if the food wasn't the best ever, there was still something to talk about that wasn't like a (laughs) teardown, you know, which I, which I always appreciated. So yeah, I, I definitely think he kept that in mind and all the years I worked with him, I maybe read two reviews where, he would, he wouldn't say something was bad. And obviously his vocabulary was way better than just saying good or bad, right. but he, he, you know, he would say something like, you know, the Galbi gym at this place in Koreatown is better. Or if you're looking for this, it's better, but this place can do the X, you know? Yeah. So he, he did it in a nice, respectful way, but you, you got what he was saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just to pivot for a second, since you eat, out a lot. What's your kitchen status like? Like, does your kitchen see any action? Are you like exhausted <laughs> by the your time you get Does your kitchen see any action? You know, your ice <laughs> no, box no sees like it's in the kitchen. My kitchen sees a lot of
2: action, actually. Um, I love cooking as much as I love eating out. And sometimes I'm just like, I really, really want to like cook myself something. Yeah. And I like, I do this thing with some friends where, especially in like the middle of the pandemic when no one was leaving, like in the very beginning, no one was leaving the house, even to go to the grocery store. We did these like cooking zoom nights where we were just like, okay, you know, make lasagna with whatever you have in the fridge or whatever, we would, or, or try and make this dish. Um, so I, I definitely like cooking a lot. Um, I like trying to recreate restaurant dishes that I really like. I started this series for the LA times called, I can make that. It's been on pause because of COVID, but it was basically like, I love this dish at this restaurant. Let's see if I can make it. So with no recipe, I would go home, try and recreate it. And then I'd go back to the restaurant and cook it alongside the chef while he or she makes the real version. Then I feed them my version. I don't know why I do this to myself. And then ask them, like, <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> so so that, that was fun. Uh, we're going to hopefully pick it up again.
0: Also, like doing it with no recipe is that's really something. What is yeah. the closest that you got? And what's like the furthest that you got?
2: Well, so we, we were only able to do two before the shutdown. Oh, okay. So the two we did <laughs> yeah. were, I mean, I think I got pretty close. I think they're great. Um, <laughs> but awesome. um, one of them was the Jazz Burger from Jitlada, which is a fantastic Thai food restaurant in LA. I don't know if you guys have so been, good. but... Oh I so definitely good.
0: have been mispronouncing it the entire time. Thank you for yep. correcting.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Hey, I might be butchering Sometimes I ask Jazz, is it this way? That she's like, whatever. She's like, just stay. She's like, just come. It doesn't matter what you (laughs) say. So, um, but she does something called the Jazz Burger, which is, uh, uh, it's off menu. It's something that she just created for her kids, like for their lunches, because apparently... They didn't want Thai food anymore. So she was like, I'm going to make you like an American hamburger, but like stuff it with Thai chilies and fish sauce and all of the yummy Thai things that you should Amazing. be excited by I want eating that right now. Right. It's so good. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to try and make that. So, uh, I made it, uh, and then I made it with her. She said it was good. She said it was not exactly the jazz burger. At one point, she was in a closet mixing ingredients so that I could not see, see what was, actually in, the, what was <laughs> actually in the burger. So that I think I came pretty close. And then another one was um, there's this amazing rice. Pu- I don't even like rice pudding, but this rice Same. pudding from Pajoli, um, from Dave Barron, the French restaurant in Santa Monica, is like the best rice pudding ever. And it comes with these like braised pineapple and like a, a pineapple caramel sauce and these candied nuts. Uh, and he said that mine was pretty good.
1: So, awesome. Yeah. Wow. I've gotten pretty, I've gotten pretty good. Wow.
2: <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, is, you are uh,
1: brave. That is so cool. What a great concept to pitch the LA Times. And I mean that is that's that's really fun. And, and I imagine pretty scary. But you that's it's awesome. Fun.
0: Now we know that your kitchen sees so much action. Do you also <laughs> do you like to entertain? Do you like have dinner parties? Or are you like, since I'm always eating with people out when I'm at home, I just like to be alone. What's your
2: deal? I love entertaining. It's so fun. Um, mm-hmm. I love having dinner parties and cooking for other people. One of my favorite parties I do, well, I didn't do this year for obvious reasons, um, but for my birthday every year, that's not during a pandemic, I have a fried chicken party. Yes, And the way I do it is, so I make all the sides. So I have like, I make like mac and cheese and biscuits and salad um, and dessert. And then everyone who comes brings fried chicken. I don't care if you got it from Albertsons or someplace fancy, just that's your ticket into the party is the fried chicken. Um, So I always do that. And then um, for one of my friends, uh, for her birthday every year, I have her pick an ingredient. And like she did pork belly one year, mushrooms one year, potato one year. And then I do like six or seven courses with just like with that theme ingredient. Um, And sometimes I'll do like a a cocktail pairing or wine pairing or um like I did a bacon infused bourbon thing for her when it was mm. the bacon year oh but yeah my so God. I like doing like themed dinner parties like that I, like, I mean I like all entertaining it's just it's fun so this has been really hard to not to not have a bunch of people over to my place but um which I'm sure it's been yeah. hard for everyone but, but yeah sure.
1: definitely like entertaining let's get into the fried chicken stuff So it seems like, because when you mentioned you do the, you cook the sides for your birthday, mac and cheese, biscuits, it's like a Southern fried chicken for your birthday party. Is like, yeah, the sides are Southern-ish. Yeah. Is that, is, does that have to do with like your origin story for your, your love, the love story? (laughs) Really? Fried chicken love story. Yeah. The
2: fried chicken. um, How did it come about? So my Chinese grandma would take me and my sister to eat uh, all these Chinese, like, or Taiwanese cafes in the San Gabriel Valley uh, in Alhambra and Monterey Park. And um, like she would order things on the menu that I like as a little kid, you're like, I'm not going to eat oxtails or that rice porridge looks weird. Like you're just like, no, but they always had like some form of like fried chicken on the menu, like fried chicken wings or a whole fried chicken. And so I kind of like gravitated to that as a kid because it was just, like the less, I mean, obviously I like eating all those things now, but so it was a lot of that. And then also my mom had a colleague who gave her a fried chicken recipe where it was literally just like shaking it in a paper bag with fla- like yes. flour, salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. And then my mom would make, so between eating it at home with my mom and then eating it out with her mom, with my grandma, I was eating a lot of fried chicken. And <laughs> instead of like, I know, and but instead of, uh, getting sick and tired of it, I like leaned into it and became kind of obsessed with it where it was just like, when I didn't have to eat it when I was out with her, like, I was just like, oh, let's try the fried chicken here. Or I heard this place was good. I want to try it here. And it just kind of became an obsession. It's gotten worse as I've gotten older, obviously.
1: Um, it's, it's gotten, it's like, or better depending on how you think about it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's serious. Like some, so sometimes I, you know, I try to eat some form of fried chicken every day. Like whether it's like actual fried chicken, Korean wings, chicken parm, like I don't care what, it, I just like love like battered and fried poultry. Oh so, my God. Yeah. So I just, uh, it's, a, it's a lot. I usually have some in the freezer or just, I usually just have some around if I'm, if I know I'm not like going to go get it that day. So it's, it's an, like everyday, an day.
0: You need an everyday fix. That is fix.
2: deep. Yeah. Once in a while, I don't have it like, but I normally have some form of fried chicken every day. Yeah.
0: And are you a white meat, dark meat, or are you oh, just, dark. I don't give a shit. Dark meat. It's gotta so, be dark meat.
2: I love dark meat and I appreciate places that put dark meat in their sandwich because usually a fried chicken sandwich is a breast. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why not use the dark meat? The, you know, the thigh's so good. Um, but yeah, so dark meat in a sandwich, dark meat, if I'm eating bone in pieces, but also wings are technically white meat. But to me, because the meat to skin to bone ratio is like w- pretty much one to one,
1: like, I'm down with wings, like really down with wings. Oh my God. The meat to skin to bone ratio. That's so right. Keep things moist. Very moist,
2: yes.
1: (laughs) Um, Hold on. I mean, we just passed Thanksgiving. Have you ever done a a fried turkey for Thanksgiving? You have. Yeah. I tried to do,
2: uh, yes. So boy, I almost burnt down many (sighs) things. Okay. Basically you're supposed to make sure that thing is like, dry when you drop it in the oil like there should be no moisture on it recipe for disaster yeah it was not dry I dropped it in the oil it like oh my god exploded and so basically when I saw it exploding like because I was lowering it like this and then when I saw it bubbling up I just dropped it and ran (gasps) obviously the right thing to do and then so the oil kind of went like this and so there's like a whole patch of like oil in the backyard still um where I almost killed myself and the house down Oh, yes. but the turkey God. tasted really good so oh. honestly it was kind of worth it <laughs> but, wow but, yeah. how long do you have to
0: leave it in the oil for
2: I think we I think I left it in there for close to an hour or I think it was at least an hour I'm
0: yeah. like how do you then get it out I'm just picturing like this very heavy bird in yeah I mean, how do you get degrees. it out oil what do you do I had
2: I had like the... this wire hanger thing that I used to like so I basically, once I dropped it and ran, I obviously had to go get it. So once it was ready, I like just put on like oven mitts and then like tried to kind of strategize and like a wooden spoon and tried to like get the wire thing out.
1: Wow. <laughs> Good I mean, times. You should win. Mm-hmm. Everyone who attempts that feat should get some kind of badge or medal. It's very difficult home cooking. Very risky.
0: I don't know. I think men think it's like very manly to like deep fry a turkey for some reason. There's like fi- pyrotechnics. But I'm like, no, I mean, I'm sure it's super delicious, but it's not worth it. In your ideal fried chicken situation, what do you drink with it? Are you like beer, wine,
2: champagne, cocktail, water? Bubbles are good for fried food, especially fried chicken. So either Prosecco or champagne would be really great. I used to do like coolers full of like a really dry uh, white wine, like a bone dry mm. white wine or some nap, like some skin contact, natural wine. I like with fried chicken. So for the fried chicken party, I'd have a bunch of that going on.
1: It's just so funny to me how this kind of age old thing of just throwing a party and having the theme of the party be what you're eating is so fun. No matter if you're five years old and you're going to a pizza party, or if you're like in your (laughs) thirties and you're going to a fried chicken, you know what I mean? It's so simple. Just tell the people what they're going to eat and like excitement will ensue. So true. Yes, exactly. Yes.
2: Ari, you really hit it on the head. You <laughs> no, did. I know me. That was, that was hashtag spot on. Yeah. <laughs> <That was good. laughs>
1: so who's making the best fried chicken in LA right now, besides yourself at a restaurant that, that I could purchase? What's some of, your fav- uh, what are some of your favorites?
2: So there's a place called Tokyo Fried Chicken Company uh, in Monterey Park. And what they're doing is kind of a cross between Southern Fried Chicken and Japanese Karaage Chicken. And it is delicious. So it's basically like full, uh, bone-in, uh, pieces that they marinate like Japanese karaage. So like soy and mirin and ginger and garlic. Um, mm-hmm. and then, um, but they fry it like Southern fried chicken and it is like, it's so good. It's some of my favorite, favorite fried chicken. And when someone brings that to the fried chicken party, uh, every, like it's the first to go. Cause people recognize the bucket and then they just know that that's the good stuff. And then we have so much good, uh, Nashville hot chicken in LA. Mm. So, uh, obviously Helen Ray's is like the best Nashville hot chicken sandwich. It's so delicious. Also, there's a place called Hotville, and that's run by Kim Prince. Who's from the Prince family of princess hot chicken in Nashville. And she's making some crazy, crazy good, which I'm going to go there later today to get, <laughs> to get some, um, so she's oh. making some crazy good hot chicken. Uh but then see it just so when someone asks me this, I can just go on and on because there's so many right. different types of fried chicken. So maybe you're like, Jen, like what if I want Korean fried chicken wings? And I'm like, funny, you should ask. Then you should go to Play-Doh, which is this place, <laughs> which is this place in K Town, which has really, really great Korean fried chicken wings that taste like they're coated in cereal. Like it they taste like there's like oh, cornflakes. They're wow. they're they're not cornflakes, but it t- it's like that like crispy, craggly, like crunchy um outside that's really good. And then if you're like, well, if I want them spicy. I'd be like, all right, go to Chef Kang's soul box. Um, because he makes the best like spicy soy garlic wings. So Amazing. it, just, it literally literally just depends on what type of just, chicken you want.
0: I mean, I'm like, if I could have encyclopedic knowledge about anything,
2: <laughs> yeah, that would
0: be great. And the fact that it's about fried chicken is like that's you really that's really something. When the owners of these restaurants see you coming, are they just like, Please write this way, Miss Harris? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do I have been getting messages like DMs on Instagram that are like Hey, like, hey, you got to try our fried chicken sandwich. Or we just put fried chicken on the menu. And yep. I and I bookmark it, and then I definitely at yeah. some point go. I don't tell them when I'm going, but I go. You guys have some good chicken in New York. Like, uh, so much good chicken. Okay, hit us with it. Where do you like to go and yeah, hit our listeners? So, Co Bar has that cold fried chicken. Have you guys had that? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Oh my god, that's like I like. I'll eat that in between meals when I'm in New York, or just specifically go. Like, I'm obsessed with the Colt David. Like Dave Chang's cold fried chicken is so good. And he also makes a pickle sandwich. So you can order like a little pickle sandwich and the cold fried chicken. It's Sophie, so good. Sophie, Wednesday.
1: Wednesday.
2: Oh, Wednesday. We that's a good up.
0: idea. Because yeah. so I have not, I mean, I've we've Ari and I have both, of course, been to, I think all of his restaurants in New York, but mm-hmm. I have never had his chicken sandwich. I almost think I didn't have it because when it first hit, people were lining up around the block. And I was like, fuck that. I refuse to do that. Like, I'm not into the hype. I am. And now I probably have been like missing out
2: on the flavor of the gods for the last three years. Wait, so not the chicken sandwich, but the cold fried chicken and, so and we... a pickle sandwich on the side. Got it. Where, I got where, it. Which restaurant does he have that at? This is from Kobar. Okay. Which was
0: yeah. the one that used to be really fancy and then he kind of like changed the idea, right? So
2: we went to, Sophie. I th- yeah. We had I think sandwich. it's still fancy on one side, but then that little bar area, if you're mm-hmm. facing it, I think the one on the left, so I've only eaten at the bar area on the left. Okay. And I've only ordered this cold fried chicken and the pickle sandwich. <laughs> so oh, I've heaven. never gone to the fancy part, but yeah. And in your K town, Pelicana has very good fried chicken. And I, I like the, I appreciate the finger condoms that come with it. Those yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. Pelicana is good. Good chain. Well, I wanted to ask if you're not eating fried
0: chicken, what are some of your other, what are like your top, let's say five restaurants that you're missing in the pandemic? Like what are the top five places that Once we're all inoculated, you're
2: going. It would have to be all of Joseph Centeno's restaurants. So sadly, only two of them are left. Um, Wow. Orson Winston, which is like a Japanese-Italian fusion place in downtown, uh, fine dining. Um, But he he started doing like a brunch and lunchtime menu that wasn't fine dining, so you don't have to do the prefix. Um, And then also Bar Ama, which is his Tex-Mex place, which happens to be right next door, which is like queso delicious puffy tacos. Um, he also makes great fried chicken there, but I, I always, I constantly crave all of his food. Also Jitlada, which doesn't have any outdoor dining. Um, Mm. so I've been getting takeout from there, but I love going and seeing jazz, uh, and just, you know, over the years I've now I know all the cooks there and the, you know, her her family members who work there. So that's always really great. Also Casa Vega in, in the Valley. I'm, you know, I've gone there a couple times when they were doing outdoor dining. Um, Christy, the owner, set up these two gorgeous tents in the uh, parking lot, which are great, but they just shut down outdoor dining again. So, but um, being able to sit in that place and, you know, drink a martini, a margarita, have have the um, chili relleno, that's super comforting, always really great. Mm. I don't know how many, I don't know how many I just said, but <laughs> I miss, I miss so many. Yeah. Uh, sure. petit toit. Ludo's yeah. like French bistro, which was like the size of my dining room table. It's so you know so small. You're always packed in there. Um, it was so fun to have them just like hand you the French onion soup over the counter, or you know point at a bottle of liquor and they'll let you try. I don't. It's just like a, a really fun place. Like good energy, good camaraderie there. So many yeah. places I miss eating I at. Mean, so I feel like part of what
0: I'm you know reminded of when you're talking about this is. I've been so relieved that outdoor dining even exists at all, Mm
2: -hmm. you know,
0: that of course we're like, oh my God, I'm so excited to be supporting these restaurants. I'm like eating out and not just eating my own cooking, et cetera. But part of what's fabulous about restaurants is ambiance and you can certainly create that outside, but if you're used to a certain restaurant's ambiance, then going and eating outside, it's just a whole different thing. And like, we can all get used to it. But yeah, just like sitting at a bar and having a martini and all of those things, like that's really kind of that like je ne sais quoi that I think is mm-hmm. really hard to capture right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And s- some places have, you know, they've done a good job of, you know, they put greenery up or, you know, I mean, they're doing the best they can, but a lot of these places, they didn't have an outdoor dining space. They're in the parking lot. They're where their valet used to be. So they're they're really trying. Um, but yeah it's, yeah, it's hard. But again, I, like, I'm just so happy to... Be there and just just to eat outside, that I don't care if it's like, you know, well, in LA, what it's sixty degrees outside. It's a, mm-hmm. you know they bring over the heater or whatever, and I don't yeah. care that I'm in the parking lot. Like I'm just happy, happy yeah. to be yeah. there.
1: So I have a question actually that has to do with something you mentioned. You gave some really great hot tips at the beginning of the interview, maybe unbeknownst to you, when you were talking about. How to find new restaurants without relying on lists and and speaking to people who live in the area and friends and friends of friends, and you said talking to the server, the waiter or waitress about their um, favorite places. I have this pet peeve when I'm when I'm speaking with my server um, when I ask about what to order, when the server is, keeps saying, "Well, this is you know X is the most popular dish." Even though I try so many ways to get around that, like through like what I say to just trying to buddy up with the person, maybe later it'll mm-hmm. give me the, what they really think. How do you navigate that when there's this formality with the server and the guest that you just want to break through? I'll just be like, what, you know, you're on break, you get to eat one thing for free.
2: Like, what do you order? Or like, yeah. what did you eat? What did you eat for family meal yesterday? Or just like, I'll just try and be like, no, I don't know. I don't want to know what's popular. I'm going to order the popular thing anyway. But like, what right. do you actually love to eat? Like, what is your favorite thing to eat here? And you, yeah. I mean, usually they tell me, but I also ask a bunch of times. Like, yeah. And then if they tell me, and it sounds better than the popular thing, then I'm like, well, I'm not going to order that now. I'm going to order right. what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh-huh. <laughs> I just
1: be persistent. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, just keep yeah. asking. Yeah. There's this incredible TV show. I don't know if it's still on. When I was in Japan a couple of years ago with my friend who lives there that I think they take like celebrities or like maybe like B or C list and they go to like an izakaya and they have to order things off the menu. They're trying to get the top five most popular items on the menu. Cause they all have, you know, they're like, the menus are so huge. It's like the equivalent for our listeners of like a Japanese diner and they have to eat everything that they order. So if there's 200 things on the menu and they're looking for the top five, so they they're there until like two or three in the morning <laughs> sometimes and they're drinking, but wow. it sounds like I've, I've been trying to figure out a way to pitch like an American version, but well, I don't I think, think it sounds fun. fun. We yeah. should just film you, ourselves
0: doing the American version.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there isn't the kind of equivalent here. Like even though diners have the same menu, similar menus, they're not as, they're not as long.
0: Also, Mm -hmm. like most diners are not uh, quite at the standard of like a Japanese izakaya, so I think that's should do it at
2: a deli. Do it at a deli. True. That's long, amazing menus. Yes.
0: Yes. Very true. Yeah. After a pastrami sandwich and a Reuben, (laughs) and then we both had heart attacks and died in the middle of the restaurant.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know you wanted to speak a little bit about Grand Central Market. Oh, I did. Ooh. I did.
0: Well, because I am a born Angelino. I lived there till I was seven and I, you know, spend a lot of time there still. And I love it. And I was really struck by, like, how much Grand Central Market is now super, super, super gentrified.
1: And mm-hmm. I was just
0: interested in, like, what you think about that. Because on the one hand, I'm like, well, it's great that it's, you know, bringing revenue into downtown. And then I'm like, all these people who were here for so long are gone. And that fucking breaks my heart. What are you, what are your feelings?
2: I have mixed feelings about this because there are still a lot of great vendors who've been, you know, who stayed, yeah. um, like, uh, the mole vendors there, like some of the grocery vendors are still there. Um, some of the taco places are still there. Uh, the, the, it's called chop suey, the Chinese place that's been there oh. forever, is still there. So there, there are a lot of places that have been there for 10 plus years that are still there. Um, but then, you know, you have the other places, which they're good, you know, and these are also just all of them. None of them are chains, like DTLA cheese. They have one other location. Reed and Lydia are like the most amazing people. They just love cheese. So like, they're like, they're all these small independent businesses who went in. It's hard for me to just say that it's gentrification and bad, but you know, yeah, I have mixed feelings about it because you know, when I, the the LA times used to have a building in downtown uh, and that's where I worked majority of my time at the times. Um, and when I first started going to Grand Central market 10 years ago, it was what it was 10 years ago. Now there's, you know, all these new places, um, to eat at, which is fun. Uh, but I, there was something to be said about the way it was 10 years ago. Yeah, uh, definitely. But, but now I think there's a good mix. Yeah. Well, I think there's just that
0: element of like, when you get to a place that it had so much a very particular soul. Yeah. And that as soon as you start seeing a $4 coffee on the menu, you're like, "Oh, there it goes." And you just sort of like, see it slipping away. But you're right that of course a lot of the vendors there, they're kind of one-offs. Like they're also mm-hmm. small. It's not as if it's like, well, it's McDonald's and Sweetgreen, but
2: Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. the and some <laughs> I guess some vendors like Eggslut was a truck and then right. it started there. And now he has, you know, locations all over the place. So yeah. he became like a big thing, I think, because he was there. It's definitely not the same as it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. One last question, which is <laughs> mm-hmm. Are there food trends that you absolutely hate? And do you have any like food trend predictions or like restaurant trends that you're predicting for 2021 when we're all out of this fucking misery?
2: Yeah. Um, food trends I hate. I hate when people put a, a fried egg on everything. I think ah. that it doesn't taste good. I think it's unnecessary. I I just don't understand it. I don't, I don't, I don't think it looks good. Tastes good. Totally not necessary to put like a fried egg on a burger. I don't think it makes it taste any better. Yeah. So that's one food trend I'm not, Mm -hmm. not down with. (laughs) Also smash burgers. Like I like a good smash burger, but so many are not good. So so Mm -hmm. I guess, I guess like, that's just something I just see like a ton of and I'm just wondering if it's ever going to go away. Um, yeah. Probably not anytime soon. <laughs> um, and then for 2021, spicy food has always been a trend, but I feel like people are like really doubling down on, on, on spicy food, whether that's like super hot ramen or like putting spicy chips on everything. I just feel like that's something that's not going to go away anytime soon, which is fine because I really like spicy things. But in terms of like actual restaurants... I think we're just going to see way more fast, casual places. Hopefully yeah. they're not chains. My big fear is that in 10 years, it's going to be the Taco Bell wars and that you're not going to be able to eat anywhere else because it's going to, you know, restaurateurs can't afford or chefs can't afford to operate restaurants anymore because it's just yep. so expensive. Yeah. Um, even before the pandemic, it was not sustainable. The model that was running. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. I hope that doesn't happen, but, and and I hope that, cause like in LA, we've seen so many chefs who kind of left their larger restaurants to open fast, casual places, like focused on one dish, focused right. on something that they ate a lot when they were younger or, you know, just kind of chefs pulling back and doing smaller scale things. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more of that rather than like traditional sit down dining just because it's too expensive to run that way. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yay. Jen Harris, take me around LA. I want to get in your car. When I move there, I'm certainly texting her as as soon as I, I was going to say land, but as we know, I'm not taking planes anymore. As soon as I pull in, I'm just going to be like, here I am, Jen. Remember me? I'm in LA now. Can I like go taste food with you? Can you drop me off some fried chicken? Do you need an eating partner? I'm watching The Crown right now. Man,
0: that's a good show.
1: All right. Wow. Good. Okay. I see where your mind's at.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) I got to wrap this up and go watch more of The Crown. All right, guys, watch The Crown. Uh, Read Jen Harris. Even if you're not in LA, read her articles for the LA Times. Watch the bucket list. Follow us because we will be featuring her favorite restaurants. And we will see you next week. Also, happy birthday to me. Oh, my God, guys, guys. guys, guys, Oh, my God. I can't believe that I forgot
0: this. Wait, this is so not cool. Guys, it's Ari's birthday. This is huge. We're recording it three days ahead of time, which is why obviously I'm not actually freaking out over the fact that it's her birthday, but her birthday is January 14th. Please wish her a very happy birthday. She's the best. Uh, I shouldn't be saying she, I'm talking to you. You're the best. I fucking love you. I don't know what
1: I would do without you. Thank you so much. I love you too. And hopefully I'm going to be eating something delicious tonight. I'm thinking maybe doing like a high, low, like getting some really, really nice caviar and then doing Shake Shack. Good idea. Whoa, yes. See if that comes true. Okay, Um, guys. Okay, okay,
0: okay. We love you. Bye guys.